This is the man in black here. A shadow lord. He's alive. Alive! One year around Halloween, my friends and I had a slumber party. I had had two slumber party experiences before this. Both times I had left before the end of the night and had gone home. I just was not a good slumber party guest. Perhaps it had something to do with feeling uncomfortable in other people's homes. I don't know. This slumber party would be no different because the entertainment that was brought was a selection of horror movies, including... Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I had seen Halloween 1 and 2 by this point and had enjoyed it, but I'd never seen Halloween 3. I didn't see it in the theaters. Well, when my friend put it on... (sighs) You know, I'm starting to think this is not going to work out. I think at this point I'm getting tired of Halloween. What seems to be the problem? Not now, robot voice. Have you lost your Halloween spirit? Yeah, I'm just not into it this year. This is the third time I've tried to do this Halloween 3 show, and I don't know, I think it's just too much on the site. I just I just can't get into the spirit for the show. Maybe you should skip this episode and instead concentrate on getting reacquainted with Halloween. Oh yeah, how can I do that? By listening to those who have now lost the spirit. I have gotten in touch with other site contributors and asked them to share their Halloween experience. Again? I kind of thought that this year we would skip the special idea. You cannot skip it. You need it now more than ever. On today's show, you will learn all about why Halloween is wonderful by listening to stories from other humans' Halloween. We have many stories to get to, so without further ado, let us start the show. Hey, that's my line. Okay, Robot Voice, that was fun, but I don't think this is the right time to do this. I think I'll just work on a different show. I'll get something out. No, you are in crisis. You'll read what I have written for you. But I'm not sure I want to. You will read it. Okay, jeez. A bossy Robot Voice is the worst. This first contributor, Hot Pink Heather, joins Team Retroist with her first contribution, a story that we can all relate to, a Halloween costume contest. How was that? Are you happy? No. 
I grew up in the outskirts of a little Ohio town. Every Halloween, this town put on a Halloween parade and a costume contest. The kids would dress up in our costumes and gather at the town basketball and flash tennis courts. Some kids would walk there, but I had to ride my bike. At the courts were groups for each category of costume. There was the funniest costume, the scariest costume, best original costume, prettiest costume, etc. We had to find the category we belonged in and join that group to be judged. One year, I was the Wicked Witch of the West, green-faced and ugly, and I didn't know which group to join. I knew my costume wasn't an original costume, so I couldn't join the best original category. I didn't think it was the scariest, so I didn't want to join that group. I finally decided to join the prettiest costume group. I figured that if I couldn't win with my looks, I might be able to win with my sense of humor. So, there I was, surrounded by beautiful fairies and princesses in pretty fluffy pink costumes. I could feel the stares of these fairies and princesses as I stood there in my black dress. As they stared, the judge walked around and looked at each of us, and when she got to me, I said, I'll get you, my pretty, in my best witchy voice. That must have done it, because as soon as the judging was done, they announced the winners in each category. Not really thinking I could win, I was really surprised when they called my name. In shock, I walked forward and received my prize, a nice crisp white envelope, and when I opened it, inside was five dollars. I can't remember what I did with that $5, but I'll never forget that one Halloween I showed my town that a witch with personality can be the prettiest of all. Did that story help? A little. Good. Now introduce the next segment. Our next tale is from Vin Vectrix, who proves that Halloween horror is not always found in a movie or a haunted house, but sometimes on a school dance floor. I'll never forget the scariest Halloween I ever experienced. I remember it as vividly as it was yesterday, even though it was Halloween of 1986. I was in the ninth grade and I had just transferred to a new school. It wasn't an easy time for me because school started only a few weeks earlier and I still hadn't made too many friends. The new school I went to was massive, at least in my young eyes. I don't recall the exact number of students, but it was immense compared to the small parochial school I previously attended. As the day of Halloween approached, I wondered how to best prepare. At my old school, costumes were the norm. Every person dressed up, and sometimes the costumes were very elaborate. My costumes tended to be decent, but pretty unspectacular. I asked someone sitting near me what people dressed like at the new school, and I was informed that since this was junior high and Halloween was for little kids, no one really dressed up. Now, I've been subject to quite a few pranks in my life, but fortunately, this wasn't one of them. The guy I asked about Halloween was telling me the truth. On October 31st, when I showed up to school without a costume, I was happy to see that no one else had one either. It was a relief. In navigating the treacherous social conventions of junior high, I hadn't made a blunder. The day progressed like any typical school day. For me, that meant paying attention in class, but also trying not to be noticed. Then, after lunch, there was a change to my routine. We were informed that everyone should proceed to the gym. No one but me seemed at all surprised by this. Apparently, this was a typical holiday event. Okay, what could be waiting for us there? I figured it would probably be a haunted house. Nope, it was something far scarier. As I approached the gym, I was greeted by the sound of pounding bass. Come on, feel the noise by Quiet Riot. It was a school dance. Now we had dancers at my old school. No big deal, because I knew the girls there, and I was able to eventually work up the courage to ask them to dance. 
but to find myself in this new situation, not really knowing any of the girls, this was far scarier. Plus, these were public school girls. They seemed like women to me. With their big hair, their makeup, their worldly demeanors, they were far more frightening than any vampire or werewolf. Apparently, most of my schoolmates were not as terrified as I was. As I shrunk back toward the rear of the gym, many of them paired up and hit the dance floor. My eyes were made glued to the clock on the wall, waiting for three o'clock and a reprieve from this forced socialization. Or, in my case, attempted forced socialization. Although time slowed to a crawl, it did indeed progress. Eventually, I was mercifully released to the outside world. As I walked home that day, I swore I would overcome both my fear of dancing and my fear of women. These days, I'm happily married, but I'm still self-conscious on the dance floor. I'll tackle that fear someday. You see how Halloween can teach us a lesson about overcoming fear? I'm not sure that's the takeaway from this. He didn't even learn to overcome... Read the next intro. Okay. Our next story comes to you from Flack who shares with us some trick-or-treating memories with the emphasis on treats that he was denied. I grew up in a small neighborhood in Oklahoma, just a few miles outside of town. The neighborhood was pretty small and didn't have any through streets, so it was the kind of neighborhood where everybody knew everybody, and parents felt pretty safe about letting their kids play outside from dusk till dawn. And as a result of that, I can remember going trick-or-treating along with a bunch of the other neighborhood kids by ourselves at a pretty early age, we'd leave the adults behind at home to hand out candy. Now, since my neighborhood was so tight-knit, it was pretty easy to remember which families gave out good treats, you know, things like regular-sized chocolate bars, and which houses to avoid. Those are the ones that handed out things like pencils and handfuls of change year after year. Now, when I think about those days of trick-or-treating, there are three houses from my old neighborhood that really stick out in my mind. Now, the first was my friend Jeremy's house. Jeremy was a Jehovah's Witness, and as kids, we didn't really understand what all that meant. All we knew was, at least at school, Jeremy wasn't allowed to participate in any school holidays. Whenever we did projects for Christmas or sang happy birthday to a classmate, Jeremy had to leave the room and go down to the library. Anyway, every Halloween night, Jeremy's parents would hang up a sign on their front door that said, We are Jehovah's Witnesses, and we don't celebrate Halloween. However, if you would like to come inside, we would love to talk about Jehovah with you over a cup of coffee. As far as I know, nobody ever took him up on that offer. Another house I remember was Mrs. Rowling's house. Every year for Halloween, Mrs. Rowling made these huge homemade popcorn balls. They may have been covered in caramel or something like that. I really couldn't tell you because I never got one. Back in the 1980s, there was this huge scare that any candy that wasn't store wrapped could contain rat poison or needles or razor blades or LSD or something. And Mrs. Rowling knew that her precious popcorn balls would most likely end up in the trash unless parents knew exactly where they had come from. So if you trick-or-treated Mrs. Rowling's house and your parents weren't with you, you had to have a handwritten note by your parents to get one. Now, year after year, I would forget to bring a note with me, and Mrs. Rowling lived on the total opposite side of the neighborhood as I did. So walking all the way back home to get a note for a single popcorn ball simply wasn't worth the effort. I remember trying excuse after excuse and literally begging to try and get Mrs. Rowling to give me one of those delicious caramelized popcorn balls, but alas, I never got one. Now, one house I'll never forget trick-or-treating was right around the corner from my own. A family from Pakistan moved in just a few houses down from us. And I don't really know how they ended up in rural Oklahoma, of all places, but it was pretty obvious to us that they were new to the United States. And the family moved in at the end of summer, just a couple of months before Halloween. 
Since their house was so close to ours, they were one of the first houses we stopped at for trick-or-treating. When we knocked on the door, it was instantly obvious that they had no concept of Halloween or trick-or-treating and that they did not have any candy to hand out. So instead, they invited us into their home and started giving us gifts. I remember one of my friends got a picture that the husband just plucked off the wall. Another kid got a package of socks that were still sealed in the package. Now the rest of us were sitting around the living room waiting for the cookies that the woman had begun to bake to finish when uh, one of our parents knocked on the door. I guess one of the other neighborhood kids had seen us go inside the house and ran to go tell an adult what had happened. And uh, if I remember right, we all had to leave the house before the cookies were done. So those are a couple of the houses that I remember trick-or-treating back in the day. I hope you have a safe and happy holiday, and I hope you don't end up trick-or-treating any houses like those. Do you see? Humans like treats, and Halloween is for treats. Therefore, you should like Halloween. I really never said I didn't like Halloween. The problem was just with that particular show I was Next doing. Story. I wasn't even trying to Next think. Story. I wasn't even going to. Wait, wait. I just want to explain to you that this is unnecessary. Okay, geez. Our next story is from Atari Adventure Square, who shares a story about how the mysteries of the cosmos can overcome Halloween scares. When I was eight, I uh, had a scary scene from a TV show stuck in my head. It was from an episode of Mannix. It was a scene of a crowd of undead slowly shambling in the middle of the street, coming closer and closer. In the show, it was a hallucination from a character, and it was clear Mannix would solve the dilemma, and there would be jazzy end credits, and all would be right in the TV land. But I missed the end of the show, because we had to leave in the middle of it, and it remained an unfinished story of ghouls roaming the street. On the one hand, I had fun scaring myself for a while, imagining supernatural menace after nightfall. On the other hand, once October had arrived and ghostly menace filled the air, I'd had one nightmare too many and was ready to let it go. So one night, me and my dad were at some friend's house, with me and their two kids at the kitchen table, doodling with prismacolor pencils. I was facing the large kitchen window, staring out at the darkness outside. My crowd of undead could be anywhere, behind a barn, coming up the dusty country road, or just beyond the shadows of the long streetlight. With Halloween in the air, my dad's friends were talking about ghosts and how the mother or someone she knew had experienced a sighting. I was getting chills, wondering if we'd make it to the car in time once the ghouls reached the house. The kid's dad, seeing me look out the window, mentions how children are more attuned to the spirits that run the earth, because their minds are open and they can see ghosts where adults cannot. He asks me if I see anything. Well, now I am spooked. It's the end, I know it. But then my dad changes the subject to other kinds of paranormal sightings and says there are beings looking out for us, so we shouldn't be scared about things we don't understand here on earth. They talk about this for a few minutes. And now we kids have stopped everything and are listening intently. Then we all head out to the balcony. One of the folks goes to get binoculars inside and all of us are on that porch. So now my dad says, I'll bet we could look up right now and spot a flying saucer. We look up at the starry sky and uh, for a few minutes and lo and behold, one of us sees something unusual. 
We take turns with the binoculars and after a while the object fades away and we go back inside. So we take those prismacolor pencils and we each draw our side. One drew a submarine, another a pirate ship, I drew a cigar-shaped object. All our descriptions had the same variations of colored port lights, but our imagination had filled in the details of what a flying craft should be like. As we headed home that evening, I happily realized I wasn't worrying about ghosts anymore. My mind was full of wonderment about the skies, instead of fear about the shadows here on Earth. So the reality of what we saw that night might be open for debate, but its positive effect was undeniable. Never found out how that manic episode ended, but I can imagine. Now are you getting into the spirit of things? Well, yes, but I was trying to say earlier this doesn't need to be a Christmas carol situation. I think I can handle things. You will learn the spirit of Halloween. I have the spirit. I just don't think we need to have all this... Next story. Okay, but if you just let me explain what I'm trying to do... Next story. I'm trying to... Next story. Okay. All right. Our next story is from Retroist Regular Doug who shares his memories of tricks and treats. Halloween is about reality. At least that's what I think it is about. I think it's about two of mankind's oldest emotions. Emotions our ancestors certainly would have been familiar with and would have felt. The love of the harvest and the fear of the forest. It's also, though, about candy. Free candy trick-or-treating. In Columbus, Ohio, my hometown, the night and hours of trick-or-treating were determined by some unseen but all-powerful neighborhood council. This council usually put trick-or-treating on a school night. I guess they believed there would be less mischief if kids had to get to bed early for school the next day. This meant that we sometimes did trick-or-treating on days other than October 31st, usually on the Thursday before October 31st. The council put trick-or-treating often from 6 to 8 p.m. because it was late enough but not too late. I'd find out when our council had determined our trick-or-treat would be in the free neighborhood paper that came with the regular paper, and then I'd wait. When the long-awaited day finally arrived, I put on my costume. I was usually a werewolf of some sort, so I'd put on my mask, my ripped clothes, and my fake blood. I'd put all that on as soon as I got back from school, which was several hours early. Then I'd stare out the door and out my window, my plastic trick-or-treat bag in my hand, looking for one sure sign that I could begin. Other trick-or-treaters. Soon I'd see them making their rounds. There were just a few at first, looking painfully out of place in the bright sun, the little ones wearing their winter coats over their costumes and ruining the effect. But soon there were more, many more, and the sun started to set so that they didn't look so out of place. With Mom's permission, I'd race out to join them. I'd start to make my own rounds, beginning with the neighbors and working my way up and down the street. Eventually, I'd find some friends, and we'd go door-to-door as a group. Every once in a while, we'd get into a little trouble. On one occasion, a neighbor had set up a frightening scene in his garage, kind of a mini-haunted house. In the center of the scene was a bowl of candy on a pedestal, an unguarded bowl of candy. Nobody was watching this bowl of candy except a statue of Frankenstein, which stood behind it. In front of the bowl was a small sign saying, Please take just one. My friend Craig read this sign, looked around, and grabbed the bowl. He intended on dumping the whole thing into his bag, taking all the candy. But before he could do so, Frankenstein jumped forward, 
grabbed his arm and firmly said, Just one. He wasn't a statue. He was a man. Maybe even a monster. We ran, screaming first and laughing later. Eventually the sun would set and the trick-or-treating horde would thin. My friends would disappear, but I would press on, intent on trick-or-treating for the full allotment of time and getting the full allotment of candy. I would venture beyond my street and onto other streets that I didn't know as well. The belief was always that there was better bounty in unfamiliar territory. I'm not sure that belief was ever proven, but I always held to it. And then, as the end drew near, I'd realized that I was all alone and far from home, that no one else was out and that house lights and jack-o'-lanterns were turning off. I'd start to wonder what else was out there in the October darkness with me, and I'd begin heading back, begin briskly heading back. At home, the mask would come off, the fake blood as well. I'd get out of the ripped clothes and into my PJs, sit in front of the TV, which might be showing The Great Pumpkin or maybe Disney's Halloween Treat or even John Carpenter's Halloween, and divide up my plunder, separating the candy I liked and would eat immediately from that I didn't like and would eat last. I'd take some with me to school the next day, where my friends and I would gather to share the previous night's adventures with each other. And when the candy was gone a few days later, when my plastic trick-or-treat bag was empty. I'd start waiting again. I'd wait through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, through Easter, through the summer, wait until it was Halloween and trick-or-treating night once more. That was pretty good. You have learned your lesson. What lesson? I was trying to tell you that I don't... You're not going to stop this until I get a firm... Our next presenter needs no introduction to site regulars. It is Vic Sage, who shares a tale of terror sure to please. The ghost of the haunted movie theater. Did you write these intros? Yes. You did a good job. Thank you. The scariest Halloween that I can remember was back in 1995. It was October 27th. I was working at the Razorback Theater because we had just debuted Copycat with Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter. Well, we were decorating the lobby, uh, hanging up plastic skeletons and, and, and cardboard witches and those fake spider webs. And as I was hanging up the decorations, I asked my assistant manager if she knew if anything spooky or supernatural had occurred. And she was kind of hesitant. And so I was thinking, okay, well, she knows something, but she wouldn't tell me. So throughout the evening, I kind of just kept prodding at her. Just, you know, come on, please tell me. You, you know something, apparently. And finally she said, okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. So in between one of the showings, we sat out in the lobby uh, on the many benches that were there. And she told me that not long after the theater had opened, one of the original managers, was a, an older gentleman who's about 70, after his concession uh, crew went home and, and the uh, customers, he was up in the projection booth hallway he was cleaning the projectors at the end of the evening, and he sadly had a heart attack and died. And no one had even knew about it, of course, until the next day. Well, my assistant manager, uh, she hadn't been at the theater very long herself. She was cleaning auditorium too, and she said she happened to look up, and through the projection window, she saw this old man looking out, not at her, but towards the screen. And obviously it really scared her, and she ran out and screamed. Her manager, who wasn't too much older, came running down from the office, which was where the projection booths were as well, and she told what she had seen. 
And she said that he got kind of quiet, and he said, well, it sounds like you saw the ghost of the old manager, and he told her the story that she was telling me. Well, that night, after the rest of the concession stand crew had gone home and our guests had left, we were doing our rounds. You know, you check behind the curtains, the partition in front of the, the, the projection screen where the house lights are, just to make sure no one is, you know, hiding or no one has propped the emergency exit doors open for mischief to steal something. Well, we also had these uh, giant trash bins that we would roll out when we're cleaning the auditoriums. Well, the auditoriums at the Razorback sloped down, so you were kind of walking downhill. At the evening, I think it was Auditorium 3, we had just cleaned up, everything was secure, and as we were heading towards the door, we heard this noise. It was the plastic wheels of that garbage bin. So my assistant manager and I turned around and looked, and from behind the curtains, the plastic bin is slowly rolling out, which you could say was gravity. Well, sure, sure. It rolled all the way up to the middle of the incline, which is not possible. It could not pick up enough speed. My assistant manager and I ran out. In fact, she hit the door so hard when she pushed it, it actually punched a hole in the wall, the handle, into the sheetrock. And we ran out of the theater, and we were probably stood outside for about 10 minutes. And then when we went back in, very slowly, we were both very scared, the plastic bin was still there, but it had now fallen over and all the trash was scattered. Was it the ghost of the old manager? I don't know. But it was certainly the scariest Halloween that I can ever remember. So you are feeling in the spirit of Halloween? Yes, yes, I'm feeling in the spirit of Halloween. I get what you're trying to do and I appreciate it. You might just be a robot voice to everyone else, but... To me, you're also a good friend. So thank you. Lesson learned. Yes, lesson learned. Sometimes you just need a good friend to power through a difficult situation. Good friend. Yeah, buddy. You're the best. Does not compute. Human emotions. Too complex. I do not understand. Go with it, pal. Quench those emotions. I think you have understood all along what they mean. Now, while my robot friend here comes to terms with his programming... I would like to introduce our next story. It comes from the Zerbinator of the Instrumentally Speaking podcast, and it is a chilling tale of Halloween terror entitled The Center Window. I was about seven years old when I first saw the house. It was a rather large piece of land that took up more than its fair share of the surrounding neighborhood. It sat catty-corner on the block, so you could see the front door from quite a distance, sort of like a picture where the eyes follow you no matter where you went. My brother and sister and I would pass this house as we walked to school in the mornings. The house had a tall and excessive wrought iron fence that surrounded it. The windows were barred with the same style of iron as the fence. And there were so many levels to the house that it seemed as tall as the huge oak trees that stood on the property. The house had hundred green shutters around its long narrow windows, along with a huge narrow front door painted blood red. There was always an old woman sitting in the center window right above the front door. She always watched us as we passed by the house, just rocking and staring, back and forth. She never smiled or even blinked, and there was a dead glare to her stare that made us feel so creepy when we passed by. I remember she wore a very thick pair of round circular glasses, and she had her hair pulled back real tight in a bun. She always wore black, and she never had any lights on in the room. And some days it just looked as if there was a head just floating in midair. 
and she was there sitting in the window every day that I went to and from school, just staring and rocking back and forth. Right about the time I turned 12, I went trick-or-treating with my friends and asked them if they wanted to visit the mysterious house. I've told them all about the old woman that I saw in the window every day for the past five years, and I was so curious to see what the inside of the house might look like, so I thought what better way than to go trick-or-treating and take a peek inside the door when it was open. And as soon as we came to the street where the house sat, you could see the light that was shining through the window over the door. But tonight, there was no one there. First time ever I didn't see the lady in the window. But in her place tonight was a jack-o'-lantern. Well, this made me all giddy, and I thought to myself, they celebrate Halloween too, and I can't wait to meet who owns this house. In the course of getting closer to the house, my friends and I separated for a bit. When I reached the narrow blood-red door, I was all by myself, but my impatience was in high gear and I could no longer wait for the others to catch up, so I rang the doorbell. As soon as I heard that doorbell ring, my stomach started feeling really queasy. I could feel this overwhelming feeling that I shouldn't have been there. There was a slight noise in the air that sounded like an old woman whimpering in the distance. I tried to swallow, but I couldn't. I wanted to turn and leave, but my feet wouldn't move. I just had to see what was inside. Just then, in a fury, the door clicked and clanked and swung open. I saw a flash as something hit the ground and flames bursting all around my legs. And as it landed, I heard screams coming from inside of the house. And I screamed myself, and I finally got the strength to turn and run. And as I heard the door slam shut, it echoed through the streets. I ran down the walkway into the street to find my friends who were coming to join me. They looked at me confused as I stood there, hunched over, trying to catch my breath. Are you okay? My friend asked. Just then I turned to look back at the window over the blood-red door, and there she was, staring down at me, just staring, rocking back and forth and back and forth. It took me a minute, but then I replied and I said, let's not go to that house. No one's home. All this happened almost 30 years ago, and I still drive by the house once in a while. The house hasn't changed at all, but now there's always a light on in that center window. The old woman is gone, but I swear... Every time I go and visit the house, I can see a chair rocking back and forth. And it seems there's always a fresh pumpkin smashed on the ground in front of the big, blood-red, narrow door. Well, friend, you have done another Halloween special and found the Halloween spirit. And it seems I have also gained something even more special. What is that? A friend. And because you're my friend... I'd like to share one of my own Halloween memories with you. When I was a kid, we often bought our costumes at the 5 and 10 in town. Now, I wanted to get those vinyl costumes with the plastic masks every year, but my family was kind of old-fashioned and believed them to be a waste of money. So what we would often try to do is great homemade costumes, and occasionally they would work out, occasionally they wouldn't. One year, I had a great idea. I was going to be a robot. I would get a box, make arms, paint the whole thing, and put a box on my head that was smaller, put eye holes. It would be great. The problem is that although I had a great idea, I did not have the skill to match. And I kept trying to make it, and I would get more and more depressed as I looked at myself in the mirror and realized that I looked nothing like a robot. Halloween comes along, and I have nothing, so... I go to my sisters and say, I need help. I can't make this into a robot. Well, they start playing around, trying to do it. And at this point, everybody's ready to go trick-or-treating. So 
we have a bit of a rush job. And my sister said, well, I got a quick idea. We'll just make you into a present. I said, a present? I don't want to go as a present. I was already at the upper limits of my trick-or-treating age. So I didn't want to walk around with a bow on my head. But that is exactly what happened. Silver wrapping paper, bright ribbons, and a bow on my head. This was a huge hit with people who were giving candy, who I imagine felt tremendous sympathy for me. Not so much with my friends who thought it was hilarious to make fun of me. Now, the thing about me is that when the sun goes down, I don't stop trick-or-treating. I will trick-or-treat until people stop opening doors. So night comes along, and this bright silver package is walking around the neighborhood with his buddy, trying to get more candy. Well, we finish about four blocks from my house, and my friend and I live in separate directions. So we talk a little bit about how great we did, and I say, I'll see you tomorrow. And I start walking home, big sack of candy in my hand. As I crest this hill that makes a turn toward my block, I see this group of teenagers. Now these teenagers were just a couple years older than me, and I'd grown up with them, and they constantly tormented me. They foiled just about any plans I would have to build a clubhouse, to have a lemonade stand. These guys were there. I panicked when I saw them. And as anyone will tell you, if a bully is near, do not panic. Now I knew what was going to happen here. They were going to either beat me up and take my candy, or both. Now, I could take the beating up, but I had earned this candy. So I tried to think quickly, and I realized I was in a box. So maybe I could pour the candy into the box, and if I sort of pushed it toward the front, that maybe some of it would survive. So I started shoving the candy into the neck hole at the top of the box, trying to get as much of it in as possible. At this point, they spotted me, recognized me, and descended upon me. The first thing they did was take my candy. The second thing they did was knock me down. Now I can tell why a turtle would have a protective shell. It probably helps when the turtle is being kicked by the bigger turtles. But a cardboard box, not so good. They laid into me and pretty much wrecked that box. They then walked away eating my candy and laughing. I rolled over and pulled myself out of the box. I was kind of relieved to get out of that thing. and was kind of upset, but then realized that some of my candy had made it. I gathered as much of it as I could into my shirt, sort of cupped it like a hammock of candy, and I left my box on those people's lawn, and I walked home. I didn't want to concern my mother, so I went in the back door. I went upstairs to clean myself up, and I realized I still had that ribbon in my hair. You would think on Halloween, of all things, that the bullies would leave you alone. But if you think about it, it is the perfect time for them to strike. This was one of my worst trick-or-treating experiences that I ever had, and it really turned me off to the idea of trick-or-treating late at night. If I'm thinking of this right, the next year would be the last year I would go trick-or-treating at all. So that tells you I was kind of old already at that point. And that next year I had a great haul, but I would never be out alone with my candy out of fear that somebody was going to take it. And as an adult, when I see trick-or-treaters come to the door, I pay special attention to the kids who have costumes that might not be the most popular. And when I see them, I smile and I tend to give them a little bit more. Because I figure, with the bully tax, they're going to wind up with less anyway. Wow. That was kind of depressing. That is what you think of when you think of Halloween. I do. And you still like Halloween. I do. I love Halloween. Humans are complicated. We certainly are, buddy. We certainly are. So do you want to handle the end of the show this week? No, thank you. You do it. I will just come in at the end with the retroist production part. Okay, if you're sure.
Thanks to everyone who participated in the Retroist Halloween special number three. I'd like to thank Doug. You can see a lot of Doug's posts on the Retroist. I'd like to thank Hot Pink Heather for her first contribution to the Retroist, and hopefully not our last. I'd like to thank Vectrix, whose posts you see on the Retroist every week. I'd like to thank Flack. Flack is almost a daily contributor on the Retroist. He also has a personal website at robohara.com, which looks a lot like Robohara, H-A-R-A. Whenever I read it, I always see the Robo part first. I'd like to thank Retroist contributor and frequent commenter Atari Adventure Square on his first submission to the Retroist podcast. Thanks to the Zerbinator of the Instrumentally Speaking podcast. You can find the Instrumentally Speaking podcast at www.kzmoods.webs.com. And thanks to Vic Sage, who is a constant presence on the Retroist as both a poster and an editor, and he helps to make the Retroist what it is on a daily basis. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend and a great Halloween. So what's it like to be a robot? It is not bad. I can imagine, but I notice you have a hard time with conjunctions. Thank you for noticing. Sure. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.